Uh, Father, as we look at the Gospel of John, and as we finish up this series, um, I'm, I'm pretty impressed that the last thing that Jesus wanted his disciples to know was joy. And so since that was his last teaching, it has to be important. And so we ask even today that a spirit of joy would fall upon us, that you would baptize us in joy, um, that, that this mark would characterize us for all the days of our life, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you read God's word with me? I like it when you read out loud with me. Uh, we're reading, we've been studying in the Gospel of John, verses 16 and 17. Uh, these, I mean, chapter 16 and 17. These are the teachings that Jesus gave on the Holy Spirit and the teachings that he gave as final instructions to his disciples. So let's read together God's word. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are say asking of yourselves? What I mean by saying, a little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have not, nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full." Some of you have been a part of the teaching or the series that we do on emotional healing. And one of the, one of the key principles uh, by which you can, you can judge your, your emotional health is what you have to say about your emotions. For example, if you constantly are saying to your children, you drive me crazy... You are, you are saying it's their fault that you're crazy, or it's their fault that you lose your temper, or it's their, their to blame. In other words, you will never be healthy if you're always blaming other people for your emotions. <laughs> so a teenager heard me teach on that, and a week later, this teenager's mother said, you are driving me crazy. And the teenager said, Pastor Mike says. 
that I am not driving you crazy. You are crazy. I'm just helping you get in touch with it. <laughs> you should be thanking me. <laughs> well, the Bible do does clearly teach that no one produces the emotions in you. But life does reveal them. I've lived in, in three pretty large cities. <laughs> I lived in Mexico City, 25 million people. Lived in Atlanta with about 5 million people. Neither of them can compare to the amount of pressure that is felt here. More stress, more tension, magnified uh, sense of pace, all of these things. But it's easy to say, well... I'm just angry because I live in New York. Or I'm just angry because I had to drive in New Jersey, you know. <laughs> or I'm just, I'm just anxious because of my mortgage. Or I'm just, I'm just worried because I can't seem to control my children. All of these things. Let me tell you something. What you're saying is, one, that you're blaming everything else for your emotions. But two... What you're saying is you're basically a bomb that's waiting to go off. Now, what makes a bomb explode? Well, the, generally speaking, particularly bombs that are used in warfare, have a hard outer casing. But inside, there's an unstable compound. It's interesting, like after World War II and some others, people found bombs that had not been detonated. But they knew that if just the right jarring or the right movement happened, that that unstable compound could still be set off. What Jesus is trying to get at in this teaching that he's giving to his disciples is that he wants to stabilize the unstable compound so that instead of you being a ticking bomb waiting to go off, you have joy that explodes even in the midst of your suffering. And he gives in this, he gives in this passage what I think are four principles that I'd like to share with you today. Four principles for the, the joy that he wants to have expressed in your life. The first one is this, and, and they're not, they're sort of intuitive principles in a way in this, in this passage, but what Jesus says is that the joy of every believer is an inevitable joy. Now, it's not always immediate joy. It is an inevitable joy. What he, what he means by that is seen in his statements. He says, your sorrow will turn into joy. See, and there, In other words, there's an inevitability. But if you don't know about this inevitability, all you think is that there's sorrow. Because that's what you're feeling. That's what you're experiencing. And so when you're experiencing sorrow and you don't know about the inevitability of your joy, you're just like, this is all there is. And many of us, many of us, because when you're sorrowful, the day lasts longer than when you're joyful. I mean, which takes longer, a day at the beach or a day at work? <laughs> Same amount of time 
But the day at the beach seems to go fast. And the day at work seems to drag on. You want to live forever? Just get a terrible job. <laughs> he said, when you see me, you will have joy. I mean, let me, let me unpack that a little bit with you. For some reason, I did not get this growing up. I thought very clearly, I knew God's an almighty God. I knew he's a sovereign God. I got all that. I understood that theology. But in my heart, I always thought he was the disappointed God. Because I, I always was screwing up. I was always messing up. And in messing up, the punishment was often very severe. And because of the severity of the punishment, whether it was a sin or a mistake, my sense was everybody was always disappointed with me, but especially God was disappointed. And what I've come to understand so clearly as I study the scriptures more carefully is that the major attribute or characteristic of God is joy. He's not the disappointed God. He's the joyous God. Now look with me, and at least when I've been doing this study on Proverbs, one of the things that I discovered is God's delight. In, in, in Proverbs 8, it's talking about how God created the universe and, 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 and in his wisdom, and it talks about things, says daily the Lord was full of delight as he, as he created us, as he created the universe. And it even says his delight was with the sons of men. Now, I don't know about you, but I've known some delight in my life, and it's an exciting thing, especially for me when it's food. <laughs> when I have food that delights me, I make inappropriate and embarrassing noises. And my wife says, so good. You know, when you are delighted, you are giddy. You, when you are delighted, you do things you don't normally do. I, I don't really like to dance, but my wife is so beautiful and, and so loving, and sometimes she says, come dance. And I'm like, eh. But then she smiles at me and I go, okay. You know, it's something about delight. It makes you do things. It, 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 it inspires you. It, it, it makes you forget yourself. This is the description of God as he thinks about you. Now, what does this mean? Well, this means a couple of things. When you die or Jesus returns, whichever comes first, when you look into the eyes of Jesus, you're going to see delight. Whatever you're going through right now, whatever's not going your way, whatever just seems an uphill battle, when you look into Jesus' eyes and you see the delight in his eyes, you know what you're going to say? Every pain, every sorrow, every trouble was worth it for that look. So if that's true, and that's what I'm calling is inevitable. Why wait? 
Why wait? Why not now? Why not now by faith say, He delights in me? The joy of the Lord is my strength. My Father, the major attribute of my God is joy. Now there are some, there are some believers, there are some Christians that will hate what I'm saying today. But if you look at the scriptures and you go, this is what God says about himself. Why would Jesus spend his last moments teaching his disciples before he goes to the cross that I want you to know joy? Unless this is the true mark of a believer. This is what distinguishes you from everybody else. This is what makes the difference. It's interesting to me. We'll probably argue about theology till we actually see God. And then we'll all go, you were wrong and I was wrong. We might say you were more wrong than me. I don't know. But we're all wrong. But if I can get this, Jesus says, then I can have joy. That gives me strength. It gives me strength. Now, what I, are you tracking with me on this? So, what I believe stabilizes the unstable compound is when you recognize that there is this message that brings joy. It's called the gospel. That the very, that the very message, the very word gospel is a combination of two Greek words that means a joyous message. A message that brings joy. When you grasp that, that the message of God to you is a joyous message and you begin to realize he died to save me. He rose to make me free. He ascended to give me life. When you realize that, you are like, wait a minute. That stabilizes something on the inside here. That means... I have a capability for joy that I never knew I had before. One preacher was saying it this way. Have you ever, have you ever noticed that certain things just tune up with your heart? They just, they strike a chord that, that you know, it could be music. You hear certain music and you just go, wow, there's something beautiful in that. Or there's something really really touching in that or there's something that makes me feel alive in that well here's what the gospel is the gospel is the one thing that is that will tune your heart so that you can feel and experience and live life the way you were meant to live it to the destiny you were called to only god can tune your heart and then play it And as he plays it, you go, this is what I was made for. This is what I was made for. But you have to understand something. He's the fountain of that joy. He's the fountain of that life. And there, there are a lot of religious people who are trying to put water in the fountain. How do you honor a fountain? You honor a fountain not by going to the tap and getting water to put in it. Especially not new city water. You honor the fountain by drinking from it. You begin to realize that, you know, this joy for you as a believer 
there's an inevitability to it. It's, it's there for you. It's yours. It's not something you have to keep asking for. You have to ask what's in the way. My mom illustrated this for me. I, I've told some of you this story before, but throughout her life, she was, she was constantly in touch with how sick she was. I used to hate calling her so much because I'd say, Mom, hello, this is Mike. First, she'd say, why haven't you called me before? And then second would be she'd start talking about how sick she was. And I just, oh, I just hated those phone calls. I'll just be honest with you. I dreaded calling her. <clears throat> so when she hit about 61, all through her 50s, it was really bad, but she hit about 61, and she calls me up and she says, I have cancer. And at, at first I was really, I was upset because she seemed happy about it. And I'll tell you why. There was such dysfunction that she said, see, finally, I, everybody admits I am sick. I've said I was sick. Now, you know, now they have a diagnosis that says I am sick. And so I, I was, particularly in those days, I was trying to understand the, the curses that come down generationally and the issues that come down from, from um, you know, the, the, the negative that happens in your family. And I, I was fighting against it because I, I didn't want to validate my life by how sick I am. And so I'm, I, when I heard that from my mom, I got, I got really upset. And I, I had seen cancer healed. I'd seen tumors disappear as I prayed for people. And I said, I'm, I'm going to come and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray with you. And I fasted and I prayed and I brought people with me and we prayed over her. Different things happened. And what happened that surprised me is she didn't get well. She didn't get well, but something changed, and, and I, I will tell you what changed. She stopped looking at her sickness, and she started looking at her Savior. I, 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 was, I was fasting and praying. I stayed up all night praying. She, she pat, my mom had a way of patting on my head and making me feel 11 years old, but <laughs> she patted me on the head, and she said, Mike, don't worry. She says, he's either healed me here or he'll heal me there, but I'm healed. And what happened was the flesh kind of departed. And she was seeing Jesus. And I got to see what she looks like now in heaven. Because she was looking into his eyes, and though cancer was real, her joy was inevitable. But the question I ask is, you, why did you have to wait to the end of your life to do this? Now, I'm not, I'm not diminishing what I experienced. I'm saying to you, why is it that we will, we will focus on this and we will focus on that until we have nothing else to focus on but Jesus when we could have been focusing on his joy all the way through? My mom didn't need to die from cancer to see his face. And some of us, we, have, we experience bankruptcy before we'll see his face. Some of us have to lose our marriages before we'll see his face. Some of us go off after every worthless thing. I think you're going to have two reactions when you see his face. One is you're going to be, why did I wait so long? 
And the second will be, this makes it all worthwhile. Now, how do I know that? Well, because of the second principle. What Jesus says is that this joy exists continually. Now, how does he explain it? Well, he explains it through the, through the, the, the illustration of a woman in childbirth. For me, probably two of the greatest, most beautiful experiences in my life were the birth of my children. But, but one of the things that amazed me in both of those is that after nine months, Lisa, Lisa was sick a lot. She had a lot of pain, a lot of difficulties. She went, came through those, those, that period of, of preparing for childbirth. And then the childbirth itself was incredibly painful. I don't know why they say the hour has come. There were many hours. <laughs> and I watched, you know, I watched her. I, I, I get it, ladies. I only had sympathy pain. It wasn't real pain. Okay, I get that. But I watched her, and I mean, this, this birth racked her body. I mean, there was, there was all kinds of stuff of, uh, that happened to her as she went through it. But the moment the baby was born, all she could think about was the baby. I remember the first time hearing, he has ten fingers and ten toes. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, you're like, you're like, just all of this stuff, is, everything is baby-focused, and you're just... You're looking at that baby, and I remember when Joseph was born, Lisa was still shaking from the birth, but her smile was huge as she looked at her son, although she, he came out kind of red-haired and really, really light-skinned and stuff, and she's like, are you sure this is my baby? <laughs> he looked a lot more Irish than Hawaiian, you know? But she's just looking, and we're looking at that baby, and, you know, is the pain forgotten? No. The pain is still real. The body is still experiencing the pain. The joy is overshadowing the pain. The accomplishment, the fulfillment, the satisfaction, the result, the fruit of that labor supersedes everything else. You see, this, this is very much what the Scripture means when it says God forgets your sins. If you confess them, if you turn them over to Him, He forgets your sins. Obviously, an all-knowing God doesn't go, you know, I think you did something about 20 years ago. I can't quite remember. I think it was pretty bad, but uh, yeah, could you refresh me on that? No, of course not. What does He mean? He means His grace overshadows your sins. His forgiveness supersedes and dominates his view. He no longer treats you according to that sin. He treats you according to grace. You see, this is the beauty of Christian joy. It does not deny the pain. It doesn't say pain is not pain. It says we have something more powerful than the pain. We have something more real than the pain. Now, Here's what I mean by that. In the world, there's only, as far as I can tell, there's only three ways to deal with pain. One is you do everything you can to forget it. You'll use, you'll use drugs, you'll use alcohol, you'll use sex, you'll use shopping, you'll use ice cream. It doesn't matter. You will use whatever you can to forget the pain. The problem is that which you use to forget the pain creates new pain or worse pain. 
then other people will do everything they can to avoid the pain. They will imagine worst-case scenarios. They will figure out what could go wrong. Here's, the, here's the, the, the brilliance of that strategy, friends. When you are imagining worst-case scenarios, you're already feeling the pain of things that haven't happened. So you get to be in pain either way. One is phantom pain. You're already experiencing it through anxiety and fear. And the other thing is that there are plenty of people who just deny the pain. They're going through horrible, awful things. And I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but I would like to bring this into clarity, is in truth, if you do not have Jesus, you have to live every day in denial of your pain. Because if there is no God and there is no heaven, all you are is worm food. You will spend eternity in the ground so what does have meaning if nothing is beyond this if you've not seen there is no justice in this world you don't get what you deserve good people get punished bad people get away with stuff i mean if you just if you have no jesus then all you have is pain And the only way you can live is to deny how depressed you really are and how depressed you should be. You might say to me, well, you Christians are pessimists. Yes, we are. And we are optimists. We just refuse to deny reality. We believe there is death and we believe there is judgment. And we believe that there is going to be a setting right of all things. And we believe that the only way to have a right standing with God is through Jesus Christ. Because we can't do it through our own morality. And we can't do it through our own religiosity. We can only do it through the finished work of Jesus Christ and our faith in him. And let me say it another way because John puts it really clearly. We also believe That it's not just a matter of changing my mind. Though changing my mind is important. It is a matter of being born again. I can't just take my past and try to clean it up. I can't just make a promise to do better. None of those things work. It's because he took my old heart and he severed it from my identity. And he gave me a new heart and he connected me to his identity. And when the father sees me, he sees me in Christ. And he says to me the same thing he said to his own son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is my joy, you see. And this is continual. This is continual. Why is he saying this about joy? Because circumstances are about to go haywire for his disciples. Everything they have counted on and hoped for is about to die on a cross. That's why he says, you will see me no more, but then you will see me. And when you see me, you will rejoice. (laughs) See, really and truly, if you live out of circumstantial joy, you're an idiot. Let's just say it plain, right? I could say it softer, but I don't want to. (laughs) You ever notice? You have no control over your circumstances. Just when you think you've got it all figured out, 
the roof goes bad. The car dies. Just when you think you have it all figured out, your wife says something to you you never thought you would hear. That happens about every day. <laughs> you know, just when you get all excited that the kids are out of the house and you're no longer paying for them and everything like that, you realize, I don't get to see them anymore. I mean, all, life just does not. You know, and you, you know, you finally retire and you have time on your hands, but your body falls apart. It cannot be superficial. It cannot be circumstantial. Or it will go and come. And it will go more than it comes to you. Well, so that joy that has to be then, whoops, I don't even know. Let me just put this up. That joy then has to be a transcendent joy. And, and uh, transcendence may be a word you're not used to, but the idea is, is that you have something that is not bound by anything in your life. Now, it's not subject to, it's over. See, this joy transcends your circumstances. Now, what I've learned about this joy that Jesus is talking about is actually the sorrow and pain in my life has enhanced the joy in my life. You remember when the hurricane came through some years ago and all those giant trees were laid over? I mean, if I had seen those trees before the hurricane, I would have said, that's a sturdy tree. I would have said, man, that is, what a powerful tree. As soon as the winds came, though, and, and, and felled those trees, what you saw was no root system that went deep into the ground. You saw a shallow root system. See, because there's so much rain and because it's so easy for the tree to get its nourishment and to get the water and liquid that it needs, it doesn't need to go deep. So that when the winds come and the winds are mightier than the roots, the tree falls over. What's going on with your life is Jesus is forcing your roots to go deep so that your joy is not flippant, it's not frivolous, it's a joy that sustains in the hurricane-force winds. And it's based on one single thing. Not you, not me. It's based on what Jesus has already accomplished for you. It's his finished work. Now, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump over real quick. Let me just get to this part. So then, if it's inevitable, continual, if it transcends all of your circumstances, why is it that we as believers seem to have so little of it? Why isn't it more present? As a matter of fact, why is it that most churches are not very joyful places? I mean, I... The, the number would be probably 80 to 90% of Christians are not very joyful. It's, it's that high. It's that sad. Well, I'll give you a, I'll give you a couple things that I found that, that helps me to sustain my joy when my circumstances are not going the way I want it to go. The first is this. Joy is both a discipline and a choice. See, if you spent your whole life choosing depression, it will be hard to choose joy. If you spent your whole life choosing anxiety as your power source, it will be hard to choose joy. 
Therefore, it has to become a discipline where you begin to experience joy and root yourself and ground yourself in joy. Here is the thing. Jesus is not giving you control over your circumstances. If the only way you have joy is to say, I want control, he's going to say no to that prayer. Because there are things in life over which you have no right to control and you have no ability to control. And the truth is there's only one thing that you really have the right to control and the ability to control, and that's you. Everything else where you're trying to control everything else is illegitimate. Now, we all think that we can control our own happiness by controlling our circumstances. But by giving away, you know, the giving our, our energy and our, our creativity and our, 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 our willpower and all that to controlling others, you've already lost your joy because they will always disappoint you. And even if they do what you make them do, you'll know they're not doing it because they want to. They're doing it because they have to. And your heart of hearts will know that's not love. And you'll know it's not joyful. See, you can live your whole life in compliance and complicity and just, just trying, you know, let me just have it the best way I can. Or you can have delight. In order to have delight, there, there are two things that have to happen, real joy. The first is that you can not have joy if you have a conscience that is not clear. I have to tell you the story because it cracked me up. There was, this, there was this British author who decided to pull a joke on his friends. So he sent all his friends in London this note, flee, you have been found out. You have been discovered. Flee, you have been discovered. The next week he was surprised when he found out every one of them left town. Guess what? They had secrets. He thought it was a joke. They thought it was serious. I want to tell you something. Any place you have secrets is open access for the enemy to steal whatever joy you have. Let me, let me just say to you, a whole life confession is worth your time. Find either a person you trust or a group of people you trust and get it all out. Get it all out. Because you're here today, friends, by invitation of the Holy Spirit. You're here today. He's asking you to go to a new level in his life and in his anointing and in his ministry and in your destiny and you cannot go with secrets without transparency there is no joy now be smart about who you confess to be wise make sure they can handle it but get it up get it out There are many people who get taken down at their height because they have secrets they never spoke about when they were low. Second thing, the second thing is this. That's kind of the negative. The positive is this. Choose not just to believe intellectually what I'm telling you, but choose to jump in the river of his joy. 
choose to experience it choose to meditate on it choose to renounce the lies that you believed and begin to embrace the truth now here's how you here's how you make it a reality in your life you do spiritual selfies in other words when you are experiencing his joy you record it you say this is who i really am and when you get enough of those portraits spiritually you will realize i don't want to be that other person you take that you take spiritual shots and 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 make an album make a portfolio of what i look like with joy and what will happen is more and more that will be your default setting and you can overcome anxiety you can overcome depression you can overcome any of these things with for freedom that christ sets you free consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to god will you pray with me will you stand together I'm asking you, I'm asking you today to not deny the sorrow in your life, not to deny the suffering or the pain, but to go deep with it and to say there is an inevitability to the joy. I am not going to give up on my life or my suffering. I'm going to believe that I'm going to, I'm going to know joy. And what will happen is instead of being, uh, you know, a helium bloom that gets blown by the wind of circumstances, you become become a foundation for the building of God. Before you can go high, you have to go deep. And there are some of you that the Lord is asking you to lean into your pain, but to believe that a continual joy is there for you. Just as, as birth makes you forget all that you went through to have that birth, so the joy of the Lord makes you forget all that you went through to have that joy. this is not easy but it is worthwhile bless your name you are our joy we drink from you today as we close out our time together I feel like some of you this is touching you in a, a really good way I'd like you to pray with somebody else before you leave maybe see I, I grew up in a family with very little joy and joy was really suspicious we were suspects of joy we were suspicious about sickness, but joy was somehow not welcome. And I had to relearn. I had to learn the joy of the Lord as my strength. I had to learn to be a person who could live in continual joy. And I, I didn't do it alone. I did it with the help of others. I did it by praying with others and by making things known to others. So I've got a prayer team. Would you guys come and minister? We've got prayer people up here who will minister to you guys come up here and, and as you leave would you come and just say a prayer with them and say I want this joy I want the mark of my life to be joy um, and I bless you now in Jesus name prayer guys would you come up thank you have a great week God bless you come and pray with our prayer ministers make a commitment to joy today <laughs>